They came out of the forest. He looked at her, and she looked down. He looked down, too. Yeah, it's, um, I think that's, those are some girls from Cabin 5. Molly Hurst has been hanging out with them a lot, and so they, they certainly know the name of, uh, of Gilly, that's for sure. (laughs) Apparently it's like a, a new camp tradition they're trying to start or something. At least here. Sam nodded. Grace nodded. Yeah, I, um, I don't know why they'd want to do all that in the lake. Or, or I guess do that at all. Probably just a new game for them or something. Grace looked over her shoulder, toward the girls' cabins. She turned back to Sam. I'm gonna, uh, go to bed now. Good night. Good night. Grace turned and left him. Sam stood still. Then he turned in the direction of his own cabin, just a few paces down the turn of the road. He saw a dim light coming from its open door. He heard voices. He followed the dirt road, past the canteen building, looked to his right at the orange lampposts. They looked alone in the dark. He turned around, looked down the long stretch of grass behind him, looked for a long time. There was no movement. none that he could see. The camp was so empty. And when it was empty, it was different. A different camp. Sam looked straight again. He saw the dim light larger and he saw people standing in front of the open door. He heard their voices. He looked toward the distant pavilion. It was dark there too, almost especially. The hymn screen was no longer turned on. He couldn't even see the stage. Beside it, the central field of Camp Haven sides spread out massively. The sky was an empty black. The sky was black, and though there were stars, it looked empty. Sam passed the first of the boys' cabins, looked toward his on the far end of the cluster. He saw the light close now, saw the people. 
heard the voices, the raised voices, heard the panic. Sam picked up his pace, jogged to a near sprint at the door. He sidled his way through bodies, entering the cabin. At the same time, Thatcher, carrying Timothy's pale, catatonic body, forced his way past Sam, speeding into the direction Sam had come from. Sam turned to the rest of the cabin. Nobody looked him in the eye, all looking down at the floor. Where's he going? Uh, nurse's office. Had an asthma attack. When? We don't know. He wasn't at worship at all, I don't think, so it could have been as much as two hours ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he was conscious and breathing, thankfully. I just... I guess he had the attack, maybe passed out or something, or just decided to sit here. Did he not tell us? He wouldn't say a word. Thatcher could tell by his breath that something had happened with his asthma. He thought it was best to take Timothy somewhere where nothing would trigger it or make it worse, since it's stress activated. <sighs> he is breathing, though, so he should be safe. He's just not talking. Sam looked away from Dennis, from everyone. He followed everyone else's gaze, looked at the floor. Just... Don't know why the inhaler didn't work. What? Yeah, Thatcher tried it a few times, but didn't really do anything. I guess. I guess he was already but, breathing. Wait, wait. But Timothy had his inhaler. Yeah, I think he was holding it when Thatcher found him. Then why? Why did? All right. All you guys go to bed. The counselors, we're all going to go to the nurse's station in case we are needed. Y'all just go to sleep. Now. No staying up. No goofing around. No nothing. Okay? What about Shane? What about him? Well, he'll come back eventually. Wherever the heck he is now. He's not so stupid as to forget how to get back. You sure? <laughs> oh, maybe not. He'll be fine. Did the same damn thing last night. Language. What? Sam wondered. It could have been a random attack before he could reach the cabin. But I do know that Timothy's asthma is like, it's stress activated, right? The inhaler could have been empty. 
And I, like, just got this one, like, last week. The inhaler was not empty. And there were no random attacks. So what? What had caused it? Trees. Trees are walking. Trees Trees are walking. Trees. Trees are. Yeah. 
Sam was standing in the forest. Around him there was no sound, no movement. He turned, looked in multiple directions. He looked at the trees, the leaves, the soil. There was no color, no color in anything at all. But it was not monochrome either. It was as if color had ceased to be possible in the world. And yet, in a sense, it was dark. Nothing was moving. Not even the slightest motion. Sam looked down. Saw a flower near his foot. He bent down. Lifted it from the earth. It crumbled into pieces before he raised it fully thin petals chipping into a fine dust. The fragments fell into his hand. Sam looked up. Through the treetops he could see a portion of the sky. It was empty, starless. But it did not exactly seem to be nighttime. The sky was not bright or anything close to light. And yet he could not quite call it black either. It was simply empty. There was nothing above him. Nothing for him to look up and see, or not see. But he could hear something. Sam looked around. Hymns were being sung somewhere. He could not actually hear them, but as they kept on, he could tell that they were not the type of hymn you sing with your voice.
He looked around, determined their direction. Sam walked toward them. He made his way around the dry, desiccated trees. Looking around, he saw that he was very deep into the forest, far from anything he recognized. He wondered how he had gotten so far from the cabins, from the camp, from everything. The hymns were getting louder. In the distant dark, between the trees, he saw gray shapes that were dim and indistinct. His vision began to cloud, became fuzzier, hazy. He kept walking, getting closer to the gray shapes. His vision gave way completely. But he could smell something rotting. Sam woke. He could smell sweat. sound was coming from the bunk at his feet. He craned his head downward. Sam retrieved his glasses from beneath his pillow. He put them on and looked. In the moonlight, Sam could see Shane's naked body, blocked from the waist down by Molly's. Standing on his knees, he thrust loudly, repeatedly into her body, bent over on her knees. The flesh of her buttocks quaked and rippled with the force. And Shane's fingers clutched them as if they would never be able to hold anything again. Each thrust brought out a moan, a squeak, from a face hidden by damp and mossy masses of hair. Shane's face was downturned. 
They are hiding everything. Sam lay his head back down. He reached to remove his glasses. Sam latched his body to the brick wall aback his bunk. Something had grabbed his foot. He looked down and saw Molly's hands gripping at the frame of his bed, shaking it with her. He could not see her face. Shane's head was rising, slowly, with difficulty. His neck cracked, unevenly lifting his head. He was looking right at Sam, before the head was even fully raised. Eyes not needing to search. The eyes were green, bright green, unnaturally. Looking directly at Sam as if trying to tell him something. To warn him of something. Judith hung a clean shirt on the end of her bunk for the next day. She covered herself. The heat found her and covered her in sweat. Her papa had said nothing but sun in the forecast that week and she better bring sunscreen. If she didn't, he said she was going to burn. She had packed multiple bottles just in case. She should always come prepared. If she came prepared, she wouldn't be caught off guard by anything, that was the truth. That was why she brought bug spray as well. Wasps were all over the place, like her papa said they would be, and she had to be careful around those. Scorpions, too. Judith's cabin was empty, save for herself. She had come right back there after the devotional to get a head start on sleep. She had a headache anyway and didn't much feel like sticking around afterward. Unlike everyone else. Like Sam, Shane unlike Molly. When teenagers went running around with other teenagers, it was a sure sign of trouble, that was the truth. Molly and Shane had been practically joined at the hip that week. Judith had seen her and Sam running after him, past the boys' cabins and into the forest. He was holding Sam's water pouch. It was stupid to be stealing that and running off to begin with, but it was stupider to be lowering to his level and running after him, giving him what he wanted. Just because some people are fueled by attention doesn't mean you gotta attend their performance. 
That was what her papa said. Judith took her glasses off. She had seen the other two slip into the forest after Molly sweet-talked Sam like she did to Shane and anyone else with a Y chromosome. Judith saw her pressing her breasts together with her arms, looking at him with her eyes turned up, a routine Judith recognized. And then they went after Shane. There were wasps and scorpions and snakes out there too, more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. That was what her father said. They could have gotten bit. They may have gotten bit. They would have deserved it. Running into a danger-infested place and then getting bitten, stung, or worse was a self-correcting problem. That was the truth. Judith got under the covers. And all the while, Shane yelling about Gilly again. She closed her eyes. It was a trick Shane pulled to scare the girls. That was the truth. Cabin 5 had been talking about it all over the place. Said it roamed the campgrounds at night. Said it was a monster made out of grass and leaves. Said that's how it blended in and how nobody ever saw it coming. But if you listened, you could hear it. Said there was something inside of it still fighting to survive. Fighting for breath. She had seen all those girls sneaking away during Devo the night before to go do whatever they were always whispering and giggling about at the lake. By that abandoned cabin. No one would have batted an eye if they had just left and said they weren't feeling well, or that they forgot something at the cabin, but they had still whispered and scampered and snuck away all the same. Judith inhaled and exhaled. The wicked flee though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. That was what her father said, and what her papa said, and it was the truth. Judith clasped her hands together beneath the covers. Please, Lord, give me the strength to not be led astray. Judith closed her eyes. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Her friends were nice, her papa said. Her friends were nice, but they were rowdy, he said. He meant Shane and Molly. They were rowdy, that was the truth. Her papa said she ought to be careful who she associated herself with. She said Jesus associated himself with prostitutes and tax collectors. That was the truth. But Jesus was sinless and she wasn't. That was what her papa said. And that was the truth. She was not sinless. That made her sinful. She was sinful. And that was the truth. She liked her friends, that was the truth, but she didn't want to be sinful. To commit inappropriate acts with the opposite gender was sinful, that was what her father said. She had never and would never until she had that ring on her left hand, and not the one she had now, but the one her husband would give to her, that was what her papa said. But her papa said, birds of a feather flock together. 
Her papa said she ought to spend more time with Timothy and Sam. He liked them. They were humble and well-behaved, her papa said, and it was the truth. She liked Timothy and Sam. She liked Shane and Molly too, that was the truth, but she didn't want to be like Shane and Molly, that was the truth, it was the truth. She wanted to lead them to the right path if she could, that was what her father said to do. But her papa said some people are just different from us, they're not like us, and if she wasn't careful she would end up just like them, that was what her papa said. She would end up just like them. She didn't want to end up just like them. She didn't want to be a sinner, that was the truth, but she was already sinful, that's what her papa said. It's what he said, and we are all sinners, that's what her father said, and it's what her papa said every Sunday morning. She didn't want to be a sinner. She didn't want to be a sinner. She didn't want to be a sinner, she didn't want to be alone. She didn't want to be a sinner, she didn't want to be alone. She didn't want to be a sinner, she didn't want to be alone. She didn't want to be a sinner, she didn't want to be alone. She didn't want to be a sinner, she didn't want to be alone. She didn't want to be a sinner, she didn't want to be alone. She didn't want to be a sinner, she didn't want to be alone. She didn't want to be a sinner, she didn't want to be alone. She didn't want to be a sinner, she didn't want to be alone. That's the truth, Papa. Is it? Yes. Is it? I promise you it is. I told you! How many times have I told you that birds of a feather flock together? And if you aren't careful who you hang out with... I know, Papa. No, you don't know! Please, just believe me. I know what you're thinking. Trust me, you're thinking, what if I can save them? Hmm? What if they repent? Well, what if they don't repent? You ever thought of that, Judith? Yes, but shouldn't... Oh, really? You have? Yes, Papa, but shouldn't I try anyway? Judith, how many times do I need to tell you you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make it drink? And people like that godforsaken Hearst family are just like that. When's the last time you saw them at church? I see Molly there. On Sundays? No, on Wednesdays. Have you ever, ever seen her parents with her? No, I haven't. And you really think that whorish little Molly girl is there to learn more about Jesus? Like she really wants to improve her life? It's a start, isn't it? At least she's there. Not in the same way you are. Not in the same way you should be. And not in the same way I raised you to be. But I'm starting to think you're more like them every day. No, Papa, I'm not. Oh, yeah, you're not. I'm not. That's the truth, Papa, I promise. I just... I don't want to be alone. Is that why that chain's still around, huh? Think you see something special in him? No, Papa. I've seen the way you look at him. You think maybe one day he'll look at you the same. Maybe one day he'll think about you the way you think about him. No, Papa, I don't think about him that way. I I swear... Because I may tell you, he will never see you as anything other than a piece of meat. That's just who he is. You can't change that. Papa! You can only hope he finds redemption himself. But Judith, the more you think you can help people, the more you risk yourself. I know, Papa. It's just... What? It's just... What is it? I just want to have friends. And there's nothing wrong with that, Judith. There isn't. But you got to pick who you want to surround yourself with wisely. I know. Because there's one friend that matters more than anyone else in this world, and that's the Lord. He will remember you making acquaintance with a bunch of false Christians. I know. A bunch of heathens. I know. Those are not the kind of people we just hang around with. I raise you better than that. I know, Papa. Judith, I don't know how many times I've told you, and I don't know how many times I'll have to tell you again, but apparently I need to say it to you again. Papa, please. Don't you interrupt me! I'm sorry, Papa. You know what happens if you interrupt me. I'm sorry, Papa, I promise. Interrupt I'm sorry. me one more time, and I'll give you something real to cry about. You understand me, Judith? I do. And apparently, I need to say it again. 
Judith, there is the right path and there is the wrong path. It's as simple as that. There's the wide path and the narrow one. Now you tell me, where does that wide path lead to? It leads to hell. Where does it lead? It leads to damnation, to fire and damnation. And where does that narrow path lead? Jesus. That's right, say it again. It leads to Jesus. You say it one more time so you remember it. It leads to Jesus, to God's mercy and the kingdom of heaven. Good. Now that you've said it with your own mouth, I shouldn't have to repeat it now, should I? No, you won't, Papa. Do I make myself clear? Yes, Papa. Good. You think about that when you're at- Camp Haven's side was thick and shrouded off the main path. Judith was walking through the forest. She looked down and saw she was barefoot, feet dirty in the soil. The feet kept walking as she looked at them. She looked up. There was no sound. There was no movement anywhere. There was no color. The hand of God was clammy and bloodless. She looked at her hand, at the way Christ held it as they walked. His grip was tight. He led the way with a fervent, determined pace. She looked around her. There was no one visible anywhere. Perhaps she and Christ were going to where everybody else had gone. Christ yanked her arm. She focused on his head, his brown hair tossing with momentum, falling in threads upon his shoulders. But out of the corner of her vision, she saw shapes moving very, very slowly if they were moving at all. They seemed to be in a variety of positions all adjoined to one another. Legs merging together with backs, arms with shoulders, hands with chests, faces with faces. She tried to get a closer look. She began to smell something very bad. Christ came to a sudden stop. Judith collided abruptly with him, pulled away and stepped backward. They had reached a small clearing that Judith didn't recognize. He turned around and his eyes found hers without having to search. 
They were a stark and seething shade of green. Luminescent. The only color in the whole world. She tried to return his gaze. His eyes were wide, wild with something like anticipation. He stared down at her so hard that she could not look back, turning away from him. Downward. <gasps> Judith covered her mouth. Christ was completely naked, and so was she. She quickly tried to cover her body, but he grabbed her hand before she could. She looked up at him. I... I am not worthy. She blinked. She began to feel something heavy in her arm and atop her shoulder. And she felt that she had been carrying it for a long time. Something long and wooden, splintering against the skin of her shoulder. She craned her neck and saw a large wooden cross behind her, on top of her. as if she had carried it all the way herself. The will of God closed her eyes. Judith felt weight rushing into her head, her skull heavy with blood. herself bound to the cross at the wrists, but she could not see it. And the will of God kept her looking straight forward, fixed her gaze directly before her. When she looked up at the world, it was upside down. Christ was upside down. But that didn't seem right. She was upside down, the top of the cross resting in the dirt, the base propped up against a tree at an almost fully inverted slope. Jesus straddled the base of it, above her, bending over her. Her feet reached his abdomen from their inverted position. Her legs opened to him. Though she didn't know why they were, she did not really feel it. Did not feel much of anything. 
least not anything that she could name. Christ shifted downward on the cross, and her vision began to blur. The will of God closed her eyes again, then opened them, then closed, and kept them half open and fluttering between the two. Brief glimpses between blackness, she saw Christ's face, haggard and urgent, sweat sticking his hair to his brow. She felt the body of Christ moving, hastening. She saw the tree behind him, thick and uneven growth, and she wondered if it was specifically created for this purpose. Called forth by the Lord as for Jonah, or of its own will entirely. Tears dripped down Christ's face, and they fell into her eyes, making clear her vision. And then she saw the tree behind him. And she saw the thing that was there. And she saw the two thick, moss-covered arms rising behind Christ, straight outward as if to imitate and eclipse him with two thick wooden claws. <laughs> Judith awoke, lurching up in bed and immediately lapsing back down. Her body was wet hot. Every nerve was a live wire. The sheets clung to her skin. She tried again to sit up but couldn't, her legs shaky and unable to rise. She inhaled, exhaled. She tried to think how she could have had a dream like that how she could have it in her to dream such things. And if she did not have it in her like her papa said she did, then did it come from outside of her? It was coming from the window beside her. was covered in a frozen dew. Hot and cold became close synonyms atop goose flesh. Like a mannequin turning its head, Judith turned toward the window. She could not look away. Tears of awe ran cold. Terror trapped her mind and body, and her throat closed with the weight of it. 
was no reply. Heather? With a force of will, she twisted her head around to Heather's bunk. It was empty. Somebody wake up. Somebody, please. She searched each of the bunks, all occupied. The campers were all asleep. Nobody was awake but her and... thrashed and struggled to her feet, top-heavy and half-animate, and stumbled her way through the cabin. Finding the door, she crashed through it and left, concrete punching up into her feet. She threw her imbalance into a sprint towards six wooden steps, wide and makeshift in the earth, but faltered and toppled face-first into the dirt. Her hand just barely reached the first step. She dug her fingernails into it, wrenched herself forward, a tortured cry bleeding out of her as her nails tore up rooted until her right leg was able to perch itself unsteadily beneath her chest, pushing and propelling her body. Equilibrium bounced from side to side. She shot forward onto each wooden step while she could, bounding from board to board in gradual ascent to the bathhouse, its door at the center of a wide strip of concrete. She collapsed through the door, while the trees swished and danced, although there was no wind. The beige tile was cold against her flesh already slick. Crawling on her belly and grabbing the counter, Judith hefted herself up to a stand, looked in the mirror. Her face was covered in dirt, alongside a scratch running red and fluid up her temple. The fingers on her right hand were bleeding. With them, she removed the silver purity ring from her left hand and placed it by the edge of the sink. Her lip trembled. She looked in the mirror. Looked at her eyes. She looked at her face and tried to understand. She tried to say her name. She heard it in her head. But it was not her who had said it. She quickly turned the lock on the bathroom door with shaking fingers. Staring at the door, she reached behind her and grabbed her blood-stained purity ring from the sink clenched it in a fist pressed to her chest. It isn't real. 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 Her head was shaking, but she did not feel it. She went into the closest stall and pulled the bolt inside, collapsed onto the seat. She clutched the purity ring between her fingers. 
isn't real. The stall door broke open, and the horror was upon her. Ah! <laughs> 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 